As we come to our text uh, this morning, uh, let me say that there are five goals that we have at Redeemer. And one of those goals is what we call doxological evangelism. And uh, what we mean by that is this, that this hour and a half that we have together, that one of the most important events in the church is our coming as believers, right, to give ourselves to Christ, uh, to worship Him, uh, to to give uh, our lives in, in service to Him. The reason we call it doxological evangelism is because the assumption every Sunday is that there are those who are here who are not believers in Christ. Uh, Laura would be a great example of that. She came to Redeemer for many years before she actually came to faith in Jesus Christ. And it's very important that we are always addressing those who are not believers. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul was concerned about how they did things in the church that they were done in an orderly manner because of his concern that those who were unbelievers that were there would not think you're crazy. So that's always important to me. It's always important to John as we preach the gospel that we're preaching the gospel both to those who are believers and to those who are not believers. Well, as I came to our text today, and as we're talking about uh, church and church leadership and choosing leaders from among us, uh, we have an interesting text because it talks about obeying your leaders. And I, I said to myself, now how in the world am I going to be able, as I address our congregation about the importance of obeying our, our, our leaders to respond to their authority and to do it in joy, how, how does this relate? Uh, how can I relate this to those who are not believers today? And as I thought about it, the reality is this, that our attitude toward the church and our love for the body of Christ has a lot to do with how we impact those who are here today. Because there are those who are here today that are not believers that are probably maybe on their way back. Maybe they've been away from the church. And what they long for, I think, is a church where believers are united and connected who are, who are submitting to Christ and submitting to one another. And that's exactly what our text is about today. So if you would, I want you to turn your Bibles uh, to Hebrews chapter uh, 13. It's there printed in your bulletin. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account and let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this, in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that you have sent your Son to purchase us, to be your people who are called out of every tribe, tongue, and nation, to know the glories of redemption, to know the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. 
to know the joy of what it means to be united not only to you but to one another and to love and encourage each other in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for our church and we pray that as we are in the process of choosing leaders, Lord, that you would give us a greater understanding even this morning of that importance, but even more importantly, the importance of the church itself. The visible church, the body of Christ, where the right preaching of the word and the right use of sacraments is to our edification and to our own salvation. And so we pray, Lord, that you would give us a great vision of your local visible church and give us the grace to respond as members to the vows that we've taken. And so we ask for your presence as we consider these things this morning. We ask it in your name. Amen. Uh, This past Wednesday was February the 1st, right? February the 1st was uh, known among many, I'm sorry, football fans, uh, as signing day. And uh, what signing day is, is where these athletes have decided uh, to bring their talents. And uh, so everybody waits around and, and they sign on the dotted line and they fax it in and of course, there are a bunch of guys at the Black Ta- Blind Tavern and there are people up here at the, at the university uh, waiting on all these faxes to come in uh, to see how many five-star players we have, how many top recruits do we have. And I must confess, I didn't go to the Blind, blind Pig Tavern, but, but I did keep up with it. But the, the thinking is this, that uh, we're thinking that if we have the five-star players, if we have the top five recruits, the top ten recruits, then we're going to have a top five or top ten team. It goes by reason. But what I've noticed over the years is that a lot of times those five-star recruits don't turn out. They don't pan out. I think there are a lot of reasons for that. Perhaps uh, the competition has uh, increased and they don't know how to deal with the competition. Perhaps their heart, uh, they don't have the heart. In some cases, it's just the fact that they don't, uh, they don't have the, the chemistry with the team. And there's, if there's one thing that's very difficult is to have a player on the team who's not part of the team. He's not in the chemistry of the team. But what is true, what's true of, of, of a football team is also true of any organization, that there are those who are part of an organization, but they're not committed to that organization, not committed to the company. It's more in terms of what can I get out of that company? What can I get out of that uh, organization? And so in many ways we do all the same thing in the church, that the purpose of the church is for us to give ourselves in service to the church rather than seeing the church as a place that is a benefit to us. Now, are there benefits? Absolutely, Uh, there are benefits. But there are also responsibilities and the real joy that comes in taking the responsibility to be members of the body of Christ and to fulfill the vows that we have taken to that church. Now, as I thought about this, I started thinking about Paul's various relationships with churches in the New Testament. I think about his relationship with, uh, with the Philippian church and how that church was a blessing to him. 
And so in chapter 1, he talks about when I pray with you, I, I consider it all joy to pray because of your partnership in the, in the gospel. And you read through the book of Philippians and you see this incredible relationship and delight that that church was the Apostle Paul. And then there's the Thessalonian church where the Apostle Paul came and he preached and, and, and people responded to the gospel. And not only did they respond to the gospel, they became imitators of Christ. And the end result was the Thessalonian church was incredibly effective in the area of Achaia. The gospel rang out from among them. At the same time, Paul had struggles with certain churches. Of course, we know the Corinthian church, right? Just one problem after the other. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all agree and that there are no divisions among you, for I hear that there are divisions in the house of Chloe. And so throughout the book you see that Paul is having to deal and wrestle with a church that was in constant division, one problem after the other. You see the same in the book of Galatians where the Apostle Paul is astounded that they had forgotten the gospel uh, so quickly. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 17, he says this, From now on let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Christ. Now our text this morning is to challenge us as members of the body of Christ, I'm speaking specifically to Redeemer people, but if you're a baptized person, if you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, that you are to participate in the work of the church and the building of the kingdom. This past couple of weeks, uh, John has been talking about church leadership and making sure that we choose leaders, right, from among us who are desirous to minister in the name of Christ, uh, who have the qualifications of, of being elders and being deacons, that they know the Word and that they know Christ and that they're committed to the building up of the body of Christ. What I want us to look at today is the importance of us as members of the body of Christ responding to that leadership. Now, I've got to tell you, I feel a little bit funny about that because I could, I could seem to be a little bit uh, uh, promoting the self and my concerns. But this is the Word of God. And so there's three things I want us to look at. And I'm going to spend most of my time on the first point because I think it's something that has been lost in our culture today among church members. And the first thing is this, to see the importance of church membership. And then secondly, I want us to see the importance of commitment to your membership vows. It's very clear here in our text. And then the last thing I want us to see is the reason that we should be joyful participants in the body of Christ. So here's the first thing. I want us to see that our text teaches us the importance of church membership. Not just being a believer. We see this in verse 17. Notice what he says. Obey your leaders and submit to them. 
For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Now I know this seems like a simple point right here. But is it not clear that the very fact that they had leaders, they had members. There is an organization that is there that we are told to be part of and to submit to. Would you say that's difficult in our culture today? It's my own personal relationship with Christ. Uh, I go to church so, so, so I can be built up in my own faith. But in terms of membership, I've debated this with many people before. People have come to Redeemer and never joined. The idea is I don't need to be a member of any particular local visible church. And by the way, you got, I mean, if you, if you ever agree with every church on every point uh, before you join, you'll, you'll never join any church. Uh, we have very many people here that have joined Redeemer who are not Presbyterian. Uh, they're Baptists and they're Methodists and, uh, or they're non-denominational. Some have come from different backgrounds. Uh, but they see the importance of uh, not believing everything that we believe, but the gospel is preached here. But let me, uh, let me stress uh, uh, how important uh, church membership is and where we see it in the scriptures. When Paul addresses churches, he, he is speaking, when he writes the letters, he's not writing to Bob or Tom. He is writing to the church at Rome. Or he's writing to the, 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 to the Galatian churches or the church at Ephesus. And if you look at those letters, every church had different situations that he is having to apply the gospel to because they're members of a particular church. The apostles, uh, when they went and established churches, it's obviously clear that they would not be on the scene forever, so they chose leaders from among them. And then they gave us instruction to choose from ourselves leaders for the sake of the continuance of the church. But where you see this uh, probably as clearly as any passage of Scripture of the importance of membership of the church, and I thought about preaching on it, is Matthew chapter 18. Does anybody know what Matthew chapter 18 is about? It follows 16 where he talks about the keys of the kingdom being given to the leadership of the church. But it's in Matthew 18 that Jesus says this, and he would say it to us this morning. If you see your brother in sin, what are you to do? You go to your brother. You just don't let him go. You say, hey, brother, I'm sorry, but you know what? You can't be, you're, you're drinking too much. Or, you know, uh, you, can't, you, can't be, you can't live with somebody before you're married. You said that behind that person's back. That was gossip. And wouldn't we be a lot better off if we just go to that source? That's what church is about. Real church. But then if your brother does or sister ignores you, which does that happen from time to time? <laughs> yes. And so you, 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 you got another brother and you say, hey, I, I'm concerned about this. Yes, I've been concerned. So you go to your brother. And then you confront your brother. Again, and then uh, you know what Jesus says? If they repent, you've won your brother. 
But if they don't repent, then you know what you do? You bring them to the church. And that if they don't repent then, then Jesus says that you are to do the ultimate church discipline and set them outside the church. But the question is, how can we do that if you're not a member of the church? How can there be oversight for you if you're not a member of the church? You might say, well, I have the Holy Spirit. Well, that's true. In fact, I would say this. If the Holy Spirit's not convicting you and getting you where you need to go, by the time it hits church, we're way down the road of a hard heart. Laura is now a member of the body of Christ. An entrance into the body of Christ is through baptism. And therefore, she has all rights and privileges of the body of Christ. And so, this Penelope, who is now part of the visible church, and were to raise her in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. But altogether, covenant children, believers, or those who've been baptized this morning who are not believers, we are to move each other to, together toward Christ and toward our salvation. Now, can a Christian person be a Christian without baptism? Of course they can. I mean, let me say this. I'm not saying that you have to be baptized to be saved. That would be baptismal regeneration. But let me read to you, uh, again, this quote from Cyprian, who said that there is no father without the mother. You, you, you can't have a relationship with God the Father if you're not a member of the body of Christ. The Westminster Confession of Faith. Now listen to this. This is very interesting. It's in chapter 25 when it talks about the church. It says this, The visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel, consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion and of their children and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, of which there is no ordinary salvation apart from. Let me give you an example of that. When I was a, a campus minister with uh, RUF at Vanderbilt, there was a young lady who um, didn't grow up churched. I think she was from Philadelphia. And some friends brought her to RUF her freshman year. And she would sit on the back row. She never smiled. She never said a lot. She'd take notes. And uh, months went by. A couple of years went by. She would come on a steady basis. Eventually, she, she came to understand the gospel. And uh, she professed Christ. And so, I talked to her about the importance of now being baptized. She had never been baptized. She was never churched. And uh, she wouldn't get baptized. And she wouldn't get baptized. And eventually, she, uh, upon graduation, I encouraged her that if you are not willing to respond in obedience to baptism of water and being brought into the visible church of Christ, taking that wedding ring and making public profession of faith, I do not think you're saved. Could she be saved? Sure. Do I believe in baptismal regeneration? 
But I will tell you this. We live in a culture that has a very low view of the very church for whom Jesus Christ died and gave himself for. We are members of one another at Redeemer Presbyterian Church. I have had situations where probably there needed to be church discipline in love. But there was no ecclesiastical authority. And therefore you can only exhort and, 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 and encourage versus the courts of the church. Let me, uh, let me read this quote. Very interesting quote by a gentleman named Eugene Peterson. He's a Presbyterian minister in the PCUSA, a godly man, same church for 30 years. I've been reading a book called The Contemplative Pastor. It's been very good for me. Kind of like slow it down. <laughs> and uh, preach and pray and listen. That was kind of his book. But, but he had this quote, and I thought, wow, this, this is apropos for what we're saying today. He says that our membership in the church is a corollary of our faith in Christ. We can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be in a family. It is the part of the fabric of redemption. He is saying that that to, to not be a member and actively involved in the body of Christ is like saying you're part of a family, but you're not in the family. Now at this point, some of you might be going, well, maybe the reason I don't have a high view of the church is because of the church itself. Because the leadership of the church doesn't take a high view of who I am and my standing before the Lord. So, some people... Uh, respond to this uh, in a negative way and, and rightly so because of poor leadership. Uh, I've talked to, I was with my elders and deacons this weekend on a, on a retreat and we, 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 we're always talking about what does it really mean to be a leader and to serve and to not do the top down but to do the bottom up and to understand what is going on in your lives. Jesus Christ is the ultimate shepherd. And he gave the parable of the hireling. I think, John, you mentioned this several weeks ago. And that the hireling is not the shepherd of the sheep. He's paid to care for the sheep. But when danger comes, the hireling is not there. And the sheep are just completely left alone. They're not cared for. And sometimes I wonder, I know that we have failed some of you. I know that. I know I have. The Apostle Paul Speaks of bearing in his body the marks of Jesus Christ. People didn't doubt whether he was concerned about them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about all these sufferings that he went through and on top of all that, daily concern uh, for the church. And we need to be involved in your lives. But there's another reason. And that is not only poor leadership but maybe on your side. And on your side is that we live in a culture that's very self-centered. And that everything is about me. And what do I get out of this? And what is the net sum game of the benefit that's in it for me? 
Now, I want to tell you, and some of you need to hear this, but because it's my observation. A lot of you aren't really fulfilling those vows. Right, you took these vows before God to participate in the work and the worship of the church, to submit to those who are in authority, to give your money, right, to tithe, to give, and all these things. And the end result is... uh, when we do the, the, um, what are you, the mission conference in three weeks, we're going to have a big Friday night banquet together. And we've done banquets before. We've done mission conferences before. But what's always interesting to me is how some way, in some ways we feel like we don't really have to be there. Instead of hearing, most of the folks we're going to hear from are people out of Redeemer. They're now in the mission field or now they're, they're in the pastorate. And we're going to hear from them, our own people. But you see, we have a mindset that, well, you know, I don't really need to participate in that because that is the culture uh, that we live in. I want to read this quote, and then, and then I want to say two more things here and then, and then come to the Lord's table. As I was studying for this, I, I was reading an article by a guy named Walter Henniger. Maybe you know Walter. He's a PCA minister. He's down in Atlanta. And I was just, I don't know how I hit this article. It was in By Faith magazine. I thought, wow, Walter, great article. But he was writing about the church. He's a church planter. And how difficult it is in Atlanta to make sure people are hooked up for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And uh, he said this, that if we highlight the body metaphor, membership vows function like stitches binding the body parts together long enough to graft the tissues together into a vital exchange, a spiritual lively, lifehood. In other words, that his, the metaphor that he gives is that we are so bound tightly together, and it's very clear in the scriptures, that we cannot exist without each other. That we bring all the good things, and we bring all the bad things, and we do that together as we build God's kingdom together. Now, who am I saying this to? Well, I'm saying to everybody that's baptized. Uh, I, I think if you're a college student, you ought to be an associate member somewhere and say, how, how can I participate? Maybe you're looking for a church where you can participate to hear the gospel. But it's very difficult to do that if we are not strongly uh, connected Together. He goes on to say this that every dating couple knows love is perilously fragile until the knot is tied. In other words, hey, we can't date. We, we got to get married. Okay, so that, that was a long point, right? I told you it was long. So that's the importance of church membership. Obey your, obey your leaders and submit. But secondly, uh, I want us to see the importance of that commitment to membership vows. He says you're to do this because they are keeping watch over your souls and those who have to give an account. So let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage. Again, I want to beat a dead horse, but the fact of the matter is there's a lot of abuse, is there not, in churches? 
Uh, some people have had b- bad experiences where, where it's, it is top-down. It's not bottom-up. And therefore, again, when we hear about submitting to authority or, or being obedient to what is being taught, there's a, there's a resistance that's there. But, but can I give you two reasons if it's done rightly? And this is, this is going to press on these elders. Number one is if he is keeping watch over your soul and he is your under-shepherd and he is concerned that you're not here on Sunday morning or he is concerned about your marriage or he begins to detect a sense of hardness of heart, then if he's faithful, he's thinking about it. He's concerned about you. And I'll tell you this as a pastor, sometimes I worry about some of you. You know why? Because your salvation is not complete until the bitter end what I mean by that, and once saved, I always say, yes, I believe that. But it's in the context of the body of Christ that we're to exhort each other to make your calling and election sure. Many people fall away. Would y'all agree with that? Maybe even right now, some of you, you're beginning to harden so hard that you're beginning to wonder if you even believe this at all. And a faithful under-shepherd is going to watch over your soul. But not only that, he must give an account. Just see that. Did we talk about that this weekend? Guys, what are we doing with our people? What's going on with folks? How about people that have been visiting Redeemer for a year? Have we really gotten together with them and going, hey, what's going on? We're glad you're here, but what is going on with you? Do you understand the gospel? Because if the Bible says that we must give an account For your soul, that's probably what it means. Now, so what does he say to this? He says, therefore, make it joyful for them. Do you understand what a blessing it is to see a man or a woman who's growing in Christ and going, you know what, I have not been where I need to be and what I need to be, but you know what, I believe the gospel, I want to move forward. Is that an encouragement to the body of Christ? On the other hand, when you begin to continue to move away, you're not obedient to the scriptures. You're not submitting to the authority of the church. Why? Because you're not submitting to Jesus Christ. And the writer here says, you know, that's, that, that will not do you a whole lot of good. And so what can we do? Well, he tells us that we can pray for them, right? Verse 18. Because I'm going to tell you, I don't know what to do sometimes. They don't know what to do sometimes because you don't know what's going on in your life. 20%, I read a statistic, 20% of people pray for their pastor's sermon every Sunday. You get up and you just go and say, well, I guess I'll be, uh, you know, go to church. 20%. Charles Spurgeon said that the key to the success of his ministry was... That people, that people prayed for him. He, hundreds prayed for him on a regular basis. So that's the importance of commitment to membership because they care for your soul. I mean, hopefully we're this way. And by the way, we're not perfect. We're not Jesus, okay? But then one last thing, uh, and uh, as we come to the Lord's table, why should we do this? Why should we be joyful participants in the body of Christ? 
You know, would you say that Jesus Christ loves his church? He loves his bride. And I don't care what a terrible church member you are or a great church member you are, whatever. He loves his people. And he loved us so much that you know what? He did two things. He was obedient. He learned the scriptures. He read them all the time. For 33 years, he grew in stature. And he did it on our behalf. But not only that, he was submissive. He didn't buck the authority because you know what? The will of God was is to step into our chaos in order that we might have order in our lives. You know, I, I spoke last week at a camp up in, in Nashville and I talked about the calming of the storm. Anybody's on that boat and it's all getting tossed to and fro and everybody's freaking out right like we do sometimes. And, and Jesus gets up and he tells that storm to be calm. You know what happened to that storm? It calmed, it stopped, boom, it, it ended. But the question is, how difficult was that for him to do that? In his deity? I mean, here they are, they're going, oh my gosh, this is God in the flesh. He calms that storm and all he had to do is speak the storm and it immediately became calm. But, you know, in his humanity, on our behalf, he had to be thrown into the water. He had to be thrown into the chaos of that suit and judgment on our behalf. That's why we should joyfully be part of his body and members of one another. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we confess to you that our, sometimes our view of the church is not too high. And, uh, and, and uh, therefore, Lord, I, I kinda, we, we, we operate that way. And so, Lord, for, forgive us uh, for not really mm, responding to these vials. But, Lord, we, we, we thank you that you did. You kept your vial on our behalf. And so, Lord, we pray that for all of us here that we would begin to respond to your faithfulness to us even when we're not faithful and, and therefore we'd be faithful not only to you but to one another. And so, Lord, give us uh, grace to be participants in the body of Christ. And we ask it in your name. Amen.